Well, I want to welcome you this morning to our services uh, in the spirit of the sermon, All Things New, that we're looking at. I'm going to tell you, um, it feels weird. Uh, every, I have a new set of eyes. So I, most of you know on Wednesday night, I started uh, using contacts. I've not had contacts in about 20 years, and I used it for a very short while. I didn't like them. It's too hard. Well, it's weird because I'm not used to my eyes being so dry, these things moving around. And, and then when I would read in my Bible for the last 20 years, I'd, I'd read. But now I have to put these on to read. And, and now to look at you, I can look at you without having to put my glasses on. So it's just an opposite way of living. And so I apologize. I feel, I feel completely backwards right now. It's a weird feeling. And some of you think, that's normal for you, Mitch. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But now I feel abnormal, so that's the thing. All right, so we are talking about this concept of new creation, right? And we had read for us in the scripture reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a passage that deals with this very concept. It's a beautiful thing when you read scripture, absolutely beautiful. You can read and read and study, and as you continue to grow, these truths get deeper and deeper get more profound and it just causes me to just dig deep in the well and see the beauty of God's word and and the hope that was being spoken of this morning it gets greater more beautiful uh, more tangible and I hope it's the same for you as as you see this lesson and the things that we're talking about over the the last sermon that we looked at was dealing with the Garden of Eden and this is going hand in hand with that sermon. One of the things that we looked at was that in this garden, the Garden of Eden looked like everything from the very beginning, right? In the beginning, we see this picture. And this garden showed a shadowy tabernacle. And some of us may never even imagine a tabernacle setting in the garden because it doesn't say tabernacle. And so unless it's explicit, it's not there. Implicitly, it is. And the more I keep seeing scripture, the more I see this tabernacle temple-like picture in the book of Genesis in this beginning. And we're going to see that because as we get to the end of the Bible, it's very explicit by then. And so not only do you have this new beginning and this new picture of what man and fellowship with God looks like, by the time you get to the end of the Bible, you not only have this new beginning and this new garden picture, it's also stated as a new Jerusalem. So that's what we had been looking at. Well, what we're going to do now this morning in looking at this motif called the new creation is to see how it unfolds through the scriptures. And I'm only using a few scriptures, but you can go through and study yourself and see how many other passages in the Old Testament pointing to the New Testament and the New Testament passages in taking that Old Testament uh, motif and building upon it in a more tangible way uh, unfolds. And then we'll see this realization of what that looks like in our walk with God. What is this new creation supposed to mean for us? And then ultimately, the, the reality is eternity, right? And so we'll get to see a glimpse of that when we read these final passages this morning. So that said, I want us to look back at Genesis chapter 1. And again, I'm mentioning to you that we would try and use what we're doing in our studies in the Old Testament. And then with the sermons that are going on right now and I'm not going to do too many more of these kinds of sermons, but just so that we kind of get a feel for some of these words and phrases and things that we've studied many, many times 
and to see its theological um, import. So that said, when you read Genesis 1, typically what do you think of? Day one, two, three, four, five, six, right? Most of us think of it that way. And of course, the, the Jews, when, when they read these scriptures, these scriptures, no doubt, um, as it had been written, were just filled with just a ton of information in every single word. So that not only is it just a literal new creation that we're familiar with, you actually get to see a number of the motifs that actually play a role throughout the rest of the scriptures. I think that's the reason why some of you, after that sermon on the Garden of Eden, were like, huh, because you came up to me and saying, I did not see how it was tied in all throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And so the same thing with what we're talking about now. We see these motifs play out throughout what we call the Bible history. So what I want you to see, and this is just some of them, not all of them. There's a lot more than put up here. In these first few chapters in the book of Genesis, these are the themes that play out throughout the scriptures. We talked about a couple of them this morning. One of them was the son of Adam or son of man. The next was dominion. We talked about those two things. Another one was about being fruitful, multiplying, and in kind of similar fashion, subduing the earth with dominion. You talk about the serpent, right? Um, and that, he plays a part. The concept of division right here in Genesis chapter 1 let alone in chapters two, uh, chapters 2, 3, and 4, continuing on, and the concept of rest, right? Many others. The tabernacle, again, as I would mentioned, is one of them that is here. But these are biblical motifs. And when you're reading the scriptures, it'd be a wonderful thing for you to keep in mind these various motifs that, that unfold and play a large role in understanding not only God, but our relationship to him. And then our relationship with each other in this world. So that's what we see as the unfolding Bible story, right? Well, when you go further and, and read through these things, as we had talked about, we have this concept that we were discussing in this morning's Bible class. And in fact, uh, I think David had a question with regard to that phrase, son of man. This phrase, son of man, is used, as I had mentioned in our study this morning, very exclusively, right? And so... The question is, when we go through the Bible story narrative, will the real son of man come forward? Because in the beginning, we look at Adam, we look at man, or the person who we call Adam, and he is in a perfect scenario, right? There's no sin in the world. He's got a perfect place to live. He is in fellowship with God. I mean, they're in the midst of the garden together, right? And he sins. And no sooner than we see him, quote unquote, fall from sin, it's again a symbolic word that we use, we go forward in the Bible story and, and no one after Adam continues to live this life where we have perfect fellowship with God. When you get to Genesis chapter 9, here's a, who's a man who is told to find grace in the eyes of God, right? Noah did, right? We can read that in Genesis chapter 6 in contrast to the world that was just really going awry. But even Noah, he is now in a new creation, right? Because the world flood came, and now you have a new beginning, a new creation, so to speak. And in this state, he plants a garden, 
And what's the first story you read of in Genesis chapter 9? He gets drunk. And his son sins against him. And then we see that curse. Just like Genesis chapter 3. You got this beautiful place that you live in. There's sin and there's the curse. That's what you see. You go forward then and the, the story then goes from mankind to a certain nation. It's going to start from one man. And that man is Abraham. And Abraham, we are told, is the father of faith. And so we read of Abraham and we focus in on all kinds of things about how beautiful his faith is and, and how the New Testament scriptures look back at him in this regard. And it's all true, except for the fact that he is not a perfect man. Right? We can read from Genesis 12 all the way through chapter 22, and we read of all the, the life of Abraham. And one of the things that God told, tells him is, I'm going to make your name great. Right? You're going to have this sense of dominion, so to speak. And, and here's how I want you to live. And when he promises to make his name great and he was going to have all families of the earth through his quote-unquote loins, how does Abraham receive that? On one hand, as God reminds him in Genesis 15, that this is going to be the case, and that Abraham believes God and it is accounted to him for righteousness or as righteousness, what do we see actually take place after that? He gets his wife and they get their maid, or at least his wife says, hey, I want you to take our maid and have a child through her because we're not able to have children. And they take things into their own hands, in other words. And scripture tells us that Abraham's son, Ishmael, was a son of the flesh. Why? Because it was through his will and not God's will. So, he's not that son of man. We go forward after Abraham, we look at the life of Moses, and here is another person who is just an amazing person. So amazing is Moses... That even in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses speaks of another that would be after him, right? This Messiah figure is attached to Moses, and yet even Moses himself could not enter the land of promise that God had given to Abraham because of his moment of unbelief, right? We read of in Numbers chapter 20, most of us get stuck on the hymns. Um, hitting the rock, striking the rock. But scripture tells us in Numbers chapter 20 that Moses did not give God the glory. All these passages, whether we're talking about Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, we could talk about David, a man after God's own heart, all these are great men of faith in scripture. But none of them lived as God had fully intended in the garden, in the beginning with the new creation. And that's the reason why this thing that we call the Bible, and we'll get into some passages in just a minute, why this story unfolds to tell us about Jesus Christ. Everything about the scriptures points to him, doesn't it? And with him, we see this real picture of what the Son of Man is supposed to look like, how he is supposed to live his life. And when I say how he's supposed to and what have you. This was the ideal. I think when Steve was making um, the announcements this morning and, and looking at you know, the, the joy of being able to come and worship, the, the reality 
is different than that ideal in the world that we currently live in, doesn't it? Reality is sometimes we may not feel like being here. That's a reality. While we should feel like it's a great joy for us to rejoice and be with our God and worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, the reality sets in sometimes because of our sickness that we have. Sometimes it's because of stress in our lives. And sometimes it's just the heart. It's just not there. We don't have a good heart at this moment. And so for a variety of reasons, we may not be rejoicing. But in the ideal, that's not a problem. We won't have the, the weight of weakness, the weight of sin weighing us down and causing us to have distractions. And in this ideal, we're going to see what this new creation will unfold and be like. And that's where the story of Jesus comes in. And so when we talk about Jesus, and this is the reason why we're slowing down our Old Testament study in the book of Daniel because of this very point here, particularly in Daniel 7. Because of Jesus, we get to see one like a son of man who is coming to the ancient of days. And it is here in the book of Daniel that you can read that it is the saints of the highest one who will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. And it is in this picture that is catapulting to the New Testament scriptures that shows us this new creation picture because of the son of man here's a person that in daniel chapter 7 i'm just going to read these verses from verses 12 through um, 15 or a little bit past and just get a view of what this son of man is liken unto and and i want you to go back in your mind's eye to the beginning in scripture what god had intended for man right when he was living with man how he would live with his god and so Daniel chapter 7. Go ahead and open your Bibles and read with me. And we're going to go from here through some of the scriptures. So Daniel chapter 7. Oh, I've got to get my eyes back on now. Here we go. All right. So in this picture, Daniel says, and Daniel has this dream, and he has difficulty interpreting it himself. He says, I looked in ver uh, verse 11 of Daniel 7. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. But their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night visions and behold... With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion in all glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. And so he made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but, in contrast, 
the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. And so it is these things that we get to see that this son of man figure is actually not riding from the heavens to earth that you can get in the book of Revelation. In this case, it's a human figure, a son of man or one like a son of man going up to the ancient of days to God himself. And this person, because of how he lives his life, as we can see unfolding in Scripture, not necessarily in this vision right here, this one receives dominion because he pleases the one who is known as the Ancient of Days and thus is given over to the picture that we see in Genesis chapter 1, one who has an everlasting kingdom. So, this is the motif that continues on into what we call the new creation. So, here's the, the lesson. In the Bible, we read of scriptures where mankind lives with God, but he proves himself by his deeds unworthy. In other words, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's the picture. That's the, the reality of man who's been made in the image of God to bear that image in the way he lives. And because of that, loses that fellowship with God. And all through the scriptures is our example after example through the Bible story of man messing things up until we come to Jesus. And it is in Jesus that we get to look and see what it's like to have dominion, what it's like to live with one who has dominion, right? Because Another sermon should be coming in the future at one where we look at reigning with Christ, right? Because we're told that we are co-heirs with Christ. And so Jesus shows us what it's like to live as one who reigns. And so God is going to make a new creation. That's what the Old Testament is showing us. He's going to make a new creation, this picture of a ministry of reconciliation that, we, that was read, right, by Jordan in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. We see that. And that when he is again joined with God, he lives out as God has intended his life. But it's going to be this new creation. And so this picture of the new creation throughout the Old Testament scriptures looks something like this. We're going to read these passages. We're going to read it a little slow and let it sink in. And I want you to look at what it's like in the very beginning, what it should have been like in the very beginning what the authors of the Old Testament scriptures are looking at in pointing toward a new creation, a new beginning, and see how that unfolds in the New Testament scriptures. So start off with me in Isaiah. Read this passage. This is a beautiful, beautiful text of what life should be like. And Isaiah gives this imagery for us. So Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read the first few verses. what he says here there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. 
He shall not judge by what he see, what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now, the reality from that, he goes on in this prophetic statement. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw-like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I don't know about you, but I'm reading Genesis all over the place here when listening to these words and the ideal of what it's like and it's a result of this one who is from the stump of Jesse of course this is prophetic looking toward the Messiah to come and here's the rule that he would bring in to this new creation go on to another passage that, that we are more familiar with in Jeremiah chapter 31 but we're going to read a little bit past the typical verses that we are familiar with in Jeremiah read Jeremiah with me Jeremiah chapter 31 Again, there's many, many more texts that we could be looking at. We're just going to focus in on these verses here. Verse 27 following. Let's see here. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. Your mind should be going back again to Genesis 3, at least as an illusion with the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent. It shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow and destroy, bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. It's like going back to the beginning all over again. This new creation type motif 
is going to bring out a new relationship with God, a new covenant. We won't be taught. Remember, um, just as a side, that passage in, in Galatians chapter 5 when he talks about the, the works of the flesh in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. And as he goes to the end and lists all the nine fruit of the Spirit of God, that if you live this way, he says, there is no law against such living. You're not taught because you live in the likeness, in the image, I should say, of your creator. He created us to live this way. And so this is the picture that Jeremiah has of what would happen in the new covenant, that there are going to be those that come into this kingdom, this new kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom, and these people live this way like God had intended from the very beginning, so to speak. That's the picture of Jeremiah. Or how about this one in Ezekiel chapter 36? One more passage. Again, we could look at many other passages. We've just seen a few of them to kind of get a taste for this new creation imagery that is provided throughout the scriptures. But in, in chapter 36, beginning in verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, you get a truly human heart. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from your uncleanness and I will summon the grain, make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. And then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. What Ezekiel is saying is in wanting them to repent and to turn away from their evil ways as they go into captivity, was he's going to make a new person. And that's why he goes on talking about the valley of the dry bones. They can take people who are dead. That's what the next vision is in, in the next chapter. And make them alive. And when he makes them alive, he gives them a new spirit. And it's one that loves God with all their heart, walks with him. And he provides them abundantly, just like the picture that you have in the book of Genesis when you tend to keep the garden. 
And as you live, you live well. You live fully. Not according to the flesh. Not where you try to gain advantage, even if it means a disadvantage of someone else. It means that you live righteously, just like we were reading in Isaiah in the first five verses. That's what this new creation is going to be like in unto. And the reign of Christ will be like an unto. And it is with that in mind that the New Testament authors come in and they take this new creation imagery from the old scriptures and apply it to those who are children of God. Right? We're in this new kingdom. And we have this everlasting king, Jesus. And he has shown us how we can follow his headship. How he rules very differently than the rulership of mankind. Remember what Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Not the mighty, not the great, the meek. When you see those who are loving and righteous and long-suffering, standing for truth, these are individuals that are part of the new creation, the new kingdom that we see in scripture so just as again jordan read for us we'll read it in just verse 17 a little bit um, of second corinthians 5 and pick up on the language of what it's like to be this new creation in christ so we'll back to second corinthians because remember he's writing to the church at corinth who's full of division right that's what he why he wrote the first letter to them and in this second letter he's further refining them in his messages to them about how they should live so notice what he says, verse 16, and then we read verse 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. See, that's the old man. The old man of sin thinks according to the flesh, uses his wisdom not for good, but according to the flesh, whatever benefits him, even at the expense of someone else. He says, so therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Remember when, when Jesus was telling Peter that I'm going to have to go and, and die? Peter says, uh-uh, as far as I'm concerned, we will not let you, our Messiah, die. And Jesus' words are, get behind me, Satan, because you regard me according to the flesh. It is in this light that we see a different way of regarding one another, let alone our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And that is why he says we are ambassadors of Christ, that we can teach others about this new creation that is found in Jesus Christ. And he goes on in his other letter to the church at Ephesus, teaching them what this new creation looks like, how it starts off where we're in the, the, the trespass of our sins and dead because of it, and how by the mercy of God we're made alive, right? Verse 4 and 5 of Ephesians chapter 2. And he goes on to tell us that by the grace of God that we are made a new 
creation in Christ Jesus. In verse 10, he says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for every good work. That's the life of someone who is a new creation. Now, before looking at this last text, I want it to be very clearly known because sometimes people will get the idea that once you become a Christian, we should never, ever sin. This is not true. I mean, we shouldn't sin. We ought not to sin, right? But the reality is we still live in the flesh. And that's why over and over and over again, you hear individuals going back to passages like Romans chapter 7, where here's a person, his mind wants to serve God, but then he gives in to sin from time to time. That's the reality. Until we actually have new bodies, right, and new creation. 1 Corinthians 15 was read for us this morning, right, by Brad. Until we have that immortal body that can have the, the limitations that we currently live with put away, we're still going to have those moments. And that is why we, while we may be guilty of sin, we're not guilty of continuing to live in sin. Huge difference. That's the new creation. We help each other. We look out for one another. We judge righteously. We don't judge like favoritism just because Julie's my wife. I'm going to take her word over your word in a dispute. Somebody like, oh, what kind of husband are you? Well, one that wants to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And, and if Julie is lying, do I back up my wife for lying? Some, would, some of you might say yes. I hope none of you would. But can you imagine? You've got to be loyal to your family. How about loyalty to what is right, what is true, what is wholesome? That's the new creation when everyone is lifted up. And that's the picture that is given throughout these letters, what we call the New Testament letters. And that's why when Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he is very explicit about what this new creation looks like in our life. While we live here on earth in the midst of a dark world. And look at Colossians 3. Colossians 2, philosophies of men. Colossians 3, we get to see the new man, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And as a result we see a beautiful man of God. Oh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all, all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self along with its practices. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's a whole Genesis talk here. Here... There is neither Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. Oh, yeah, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave or free. But in contrast to that, Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. See, that's the picture of a new creation in Christ. See, it's not limited to this idea of, of rules per se, but a lifestyle that's translated into what, for lack of a better term, you actually reflect the image of God. Because you're walking in Christ, who is the express image of God, Hebrews 11 tells us. Or Hebrews, excuse me, Hebrews 1 verse 2 tells us. And so what we see here through these sampling of New Testament passages are clearly a contrast to the old man. That goes through the whole Bible story narrative in the first few chapters in Genesis. And it unfolds throughout the rest of the Old Testament scriptures and we see fulfilled in the New Testament scriptures. So here's where like the end of the Bible comes into play where we combine that whole Garden of Eden and this new creation imagery, put them together, right? So in Revelation 21... Notice the words that are used in the, up to the first five verses as we close out the last two chapters of the Bible. Here, Revelation 21, let me read the first few verses and follow with me on these. John the Apostle says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. There's this new creation talk. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and... The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for former things have passed away. I would say that if you read the first four chapters of Genesis, you would get all of this except for the opposite. You would have a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, great burden and death but in the new creation none of it exists because as we we're told in verse 5 all things are made new all the old is done that's the reason why when we look at these scriptures it is important to see that when we go out and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ this is the hope that Brad is talking about this is the life that we want to have this is why mankind, through his own efforts, contrary to God's, in his own efforts, wants to live as long as we can and the best life we can. But we do it on our own terms, and we do it with what we think to be right versus wrong. That's why you had whoever, I forget now who it was, that was talking about cryo-whatever with whoever was trying to, frozen. I don't know, who, who was it that did that on Wednesday? Max, that's right, it was Max. Yeah, thank you, Max. Yeah, we try to do it our own way. 
God has given us a way. And this is what makes good news really good news because who doesn't desire having a life where there is nothing but joy, peace, and harmony? Some people might say, well, that's too idealistic. How, how would you like to live your life? Fighting? Not getting along? Stomping on other people? Now, some people get a joy out of that, but that's a sick joy. And I think sometimes we are sick people because we do that. But in Christ, it's just the opposite. He gives up his life so we can have life. And we give up our lives so we can have life. That's the new creation. And we can be practicing that right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And looking forward to the reality of everlasting life where all those who desire to walk with God and lean on Him will have everlasting life in this new creation. So that's the sermon. That's the message, if you will. That's on one level so simple, right? We have something new. And on another level, it's, just, it's beyond our understanding. But God gave us, through his words, the ability to understand. And here's one thing that he's also given to us to understand a new creation. It's what I love about these scriptures. It is not just, hey, God commanded us to be baptized. I want you to see the new creation in baptism. Okay? You are a person who is acknowledging your sins. That No matter how hard you try, you're still guilty of being a sinner as you stand before a holy and sinless God. And you realize, I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ because as I read the scriptures, he is the ideal son of man. And that's why he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the author of my salvation. And I'm willing to subject myself under his headship and his headship is showing me how to live in humility, how to live in self-sacrifice, how to live by ultimately loving fellow, your fellow man. That's the greatest commandment. And that's what Jesus is showing us as head of his kingdom body. And those who live in this new and everlasting kingdom then voluntarily not out of forced obligation, but voluntarily subject themselves to his rulership. And here's where the baptism comes in. When you acknowledge that rulership, he wants you to die to your old self. And so the picture is of Jesus' death as you go down into that watery grave we call baptism. It is that picture of putting the old man of sin where I do whatever I want, how I want, because I think this is what's right, to I give it all to you, God. And I will follow my Savior, Jesus Christ. And so you come up out of that watery grave to walk in newness of life, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And God, as Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, puts his spirit in you. And you're able to walk in him. If indeed the spirit of God is in you, you live and you manifest the fruit, the evidence of him walking in you. That's a new created life. In Christ Jesus. That's what we call conversion. That's what we call transformation. You can have that. That's the invitation. That's the invitation to come into a new kingdom that is everlasting.
And if you want to, I beg you, come forward together. We stand and sing this song. Amen.